yeah, I mean, a guy that was in our wedding, like, pulled my husband aside and was like, basically, you know, I think you're going, Haley's taking you to hell in a handbasket situation. It was like, I'm scared for your, basically, like, she's a lost cause, but I'm scared for your salvation because you're married to her. And this is someone who, again, was like, in our wedding and... I feel like knows me, knows my heart. And so that was really painful. When we hung out a couple weeks ago and I heard the way that you talked, it's especially to an 11 year old about what being a mystic was. I was just like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like if you can help a child or a preteen understand a concept, that means like you've really thought about it. And Mm. she actually understood what you were saying. So I just wanted Mm. to, can you repeat what you said to her? Like, I remember her specific question to you was, what's a mystic? Yeah, I'm trying to think of how I explained it then. But I think how I often talk about it and honestly how it was explained to me um, is that there are so many different ways of knowing and get like knowing more about God. And a lot of people learn about God through like pastors and sermons and people learn about God through the Bible, but mystics primarily learn about God through the way that they experience the world. And mm. so that's that's kind of what um, distinguishes a mystic. I think from other spiritual people is that it's heavily reliant on experiential understanding of God. Mm. And how different is that from the way you grew up in like conservative Christianity? Mm, Very different. (laughs) I mean, like, couldn't be more different. I think like, I'm grateful that I grew up in a pretty um religiously diverse kind of environment um a much more like religiously and politically liberal family and i have buddhist family so we grew up going to temple but like i went to a very conservative christian evangelical private school for middle school and high school and you know took bible classes and and like the whole the whole thing mm-hmm. and it was um I didn't realize, like, I didn't have the language for this until I was an adult, but it was very, very shame-based. And and we were really taught, like, you are inherently evil, and the only thing that is redeemable about you or could redeem you is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And so that's the only thing good about you is, like, what someone else did for you. And we are really ingrained that, like, our flesh, you know, that classic, like, evangelical language of, like, the flesh. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like that was, we were taught to really fear and flee from the flesh. And the flesh is basically any impulse that you have. And I remember, like, being, you know, a high schooler and, and laying in bed and being like, are these thoughts, like, from me like, are they from the devil or are they from God? Like, how do I know? I had no ability to trust myself. So I think Ugh, m- moving yes. into a, a mis- 
you know, like, so moving into a mystic view of the world and of God and relying on the way that I interact with the world um, to inform how I view God is basically a direct opposite of what I was taught and told, which is like, you can't trust yourself at all. And the only truth is in the Bible in a literal interpretation of scripture. Yeah, I'm gonna cry. (laughs) I am gonna cry. That's so good. Yeah. What about you? Is that how different is that from the way you grew up? Or similar? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty similar, except, you know, my question that I was thinking was like, was there a time though, that that you completely believed what you were taught. You know what I mean? Like, because mm-hmm. I know for myself, there were seasons where the shame-based preaching, the you are nothing without Jesus, there's nothing good about you. I believed it, completely mm-hmm. absorbed it and took that on and was like, oh, shit. The fact that I even thought that maybe I wasn't a terrible human being at one point makes me feel like even more of a big sinner shit face. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so did you have any of that? Like, was there ever a moment that you absorbed it and said, okay, yeah, they're right about my identity, that I'm nothing without the saving grace blood of Jesus? Yeah, for sure. I, I don't feel like I can really... I feel like I kind of ebbed and flowed out of it, you know, like especially in, especially in those like teenage years, I think, I mean, I remember, I remember feeling, you know, they say like they, I I don't even know who they are, whatever, the institute, the institution, the evangelical, (laughs) yeah, like they, whoever they are, make you feel like. You know, Jesus is the only thing you need. And so if you have any discontentment outside of your relationship with Jesus, then you don't love Jesus enough. And so I think it was, I don't know that I, I think I, I, it's less that I felt like, oh, I'm this bag of shit that like, without the redeeming blood of Jesus just is a bag of shit. And more Mm -hmm. that I felt like I am not enough. Like, I didn't think I was a terrible person, but I think I thought everybody else loves Jesus so much more than me. And I have all of this discontentment and all of this restlessness and all of these questions and all of this loneliness. And if I loved Jesus more, I wouldn't have any of those things. So that was where like the shame was for me was just always in this kind of cycle of shame of feeling negative feelings, feeling sad. I think like as an adult, like I now have the language like having like depressive tendencies, but not knowing that as a kid Mm -hmm. and just thinking, oh, I don't love God enough because I'm sad. Mm -hmm. Um. Is that something that you took on and told yourself or was there actually people around you, you know, like speaking at you like that? Like, is Mm -hmm. it something that you assumed that everyone around you was feeling and saying towards you or was it actually said to you? I don't actually remember. I mean, I think it was more just like implicit, you know, I think it was more just I don't remember talking to anyone about feeling sad or lonely. I don't feel like mm-hmm. I didn't talk to I didn't talk to my parents about it. I didn't talk to any of my friends about it. But I think there was just sort of this veneer. 
It's actually very funny. I don't know if you've seen the movie Saved, that, like, movie that came out, I don't know, like, 15 years ago or something. It was about, like, this Christian school, and it had Mandy Moore in it and other – it was, like, a big Hollywood movie. When I first watched it, it was, like, way too close to home. Like, it was (laughs) – it's supposed to be a parody of, like, private school, but it is, like, so – on the nose down to, like, the goateed youth pastor, like, doing a backflip on, like, stage. You know, you're just like, oh, my gosh, this is my childhood. <laughs> um, and I think, like, there's just this veneer of happiness. I don't feel like I was ever – I even had the freedom to ask, like, is me being sad, like, a me thing or a God thing? Like, I don't even think I would have ever thought to ask or felt mm. the freedom to even bring that up. And then when was it that you – Like, when did you start? Like, when did that transition even start for you? Because you were immersed in Christian school. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know you back then, even though we knew some of the same people, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe more so my husband knew some of the same people as you did. But And then I I see you, what, in your freaking 30s? And you are just so grounded in who you are. And you can tell that you are still a seeker, but also not. Like, there's something about your knowing that is obviously changed. Mm. And I'm super drawn to you. As soon as I even (laughs) like that word mystic in a way I wrote it down here was when I first saw you write mystic minded or mystic on your Instagram definition or your profile page. Mm hmm. It to me, it's almost like the signaling, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which isn't yeah. a bad thing, but it's just like, hey, this word itself is a signal to other Christians or other um, ex Christians or people that have deconstructed mm-hmm. that you are open to the idea that Jesus isn't the only good thing about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's too specific. Maybe it was more of a feeling for me when I saw that, you know. You just knew. You knew I that that's knew. what I was signaling to you. Well, as soon as I saw <laughs> that, I like ran out to John and I was like, babe, Brad's wife, <laughs> Haley, who I haven't met yet, has Mystic on her profile page. And he was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that so much. I don't know about you, but in my journey of – becoming more of a mystic and I wouldn't ever have um called myself that until just recently Mm -hmm. after speaking with you and reading some Richard Rohr um it's been hard to find the people that are safe to actually discuss it with yeah yeah so hard and it's been a process it's been like years of a process of like like I remember one time I met with a an old friend of mine who at one point was a pastor's wife. And I was just like, you know, I just don't know if I can even call God a him anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because I was starting to open up to the idea that maybe God doesn't even have a masculine identity. Maybe it is all encompassing. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to call her she. You know, like when everyone started doing that, like um, Glenn and Doyle started doing this was years ago. And like, mm-hmm. I remember, but I started saying that and she was just like, it felt like she was offended. And I've never mm-hmm. talked to her since. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> like, it just kind of, it was this wedge because yeah. for whatever reason, like I wasn't safe for her anymore. And I think she wasn't safe for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how many relationships have I lost touch in because the thing that kept us close is no longer the thing that keeps us connected. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I feel like, you know, especially evangelicalism or like fundamental Christianity is very formulaic. So it's, it's, and it's very rules based. It's very, if then, you know, if you do this, then you go to heaven. And so there's, there's sort of this safety net in, in these really strict set of beliefs. And Mm -hmm. so if you remove, you know, if you, if you count, you know, I don't know what the word is, but like, if you question that, it's very threatening. So God is a he, that's just it. You know, and if you start calling God a she, that is like huge red flags, like flashing lights for someone who is a fundamentalist to be like, that is not in the equation. You are going to hell and you're not taking me with you, you know, and it's really I mean, it makes sense. Like when you think of it from that framework that like, sure, if if knowing God is a formula and there is a right formula, then like then that is terrifying. Like then then there are wrong answers. But I think once you start to be like, wait, I don't think there is a formula for knowing God. It is really hard to, it is really hard to have, to be, like to be your true self around people who see God in a very different way because they're very, I don't think they would say threatened, but that's how I experience it to be. I mean, I think they Mm -hmm. see it as just like heresy, but I, I see it as, Oh, you're you're scared that I'm gonna pick away at all of the things that give you safety and mm-hmm. um, security in your life, mm-hmm. and like you can understand why that would be really terrifying for someone. Yeah, have you like either lost friends or have experienced a moment when they're like, "Oh, we need to separate ourselves from you because you believe differently now." I am. I feel very fortunate that I don't feel like I I personally have lost any primary friendships Hmm. um but i mean i'm i think i mentioned this to you like at um when we were hanging out the other weekend but yeah i mean a guy that was in our wedding like pulled my husband aside and was like basically you know i think you're going Haley's taking you to hell in a handbasket situation it was like i'm scared for your Basically, like, she's a lost cause, but I'm scared for your salvation because you're married to her. And this is someone who, Ooh. again, was, like, in our wedding and I feel like knows me, knows my heart. And so that was really painful. Um, it was really painful, but also, honestly, just more infuriating. It's like, fuck you, dude. Like, mm. just none of your business. <laughs> like, it's none of your business. <laughs> and... Mm. I, I've all, I'm very much a, like, what you see is what you get person, and I don't shy away from talking about things that, that I believe in, or even things that I'm processing, like, mm-hmm. and so I know that people are going to judge me, and I, I come out of this Christian world, and a lot of my community is Christian, so, like, I know that they're going to, like, raise an eyebrow, but mm-hmm. I think that most people know me well enough to know that, like, I have a relatively good head on my shoulders. And I think that they more or less kind of are like, I'm not into that, but I, but, but that's Haley's thing and that's okay too. Um, like, I've been in this like Bible study with these women for like 10 years. And I'd say we're all over the map kind of when it comes to, how our relationship with God, but we've been able to create space for each other because we know each other and love each other. And, Mm. um, 
and know that we're each doing our best to know God in the way that that we like in the way that resonates with us. Yeah. Um, but I have had to leave churches over it, you know, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm grateful that it like hasn't like put a wedge in my marriage or like in my family. You know, I know people who have who it's been really um, traumatic and divisive for like those really close relationships. And I'm grateful that that hasn't happened to me. Totally. It would be different if you weren't still open and loving to the people around you, right? Like, mm. like, and even respectful to the thought that they are still bought in or have everything in this story and totally still identify with the Jesus story and still believe what they've been taught of just like the only way to God is through Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there is this like, if there is a respect that you can have, which I see in you for the people around you who still believe what you no longer believe, it seems like there's this space for conversation about it. Or even just this like, we don't even have to talk about it, but there is just this understanding that I can respect where you're at. And I don't know if it's just me. It it might be because of my immaturity or just my process, but I ended up gravitating towards isolation when I was going through my process mm. instead of mm. openness. And mm. I, and my, um, it was easy for me to go to a place of judgment rather than understanding for the other yeah. people. Yeah. And I think part of that is me playing out my like, uh, <laughs> what's it called? Just the story, the, this story of like, separation that I've been playing out all these years, you know, like, it's not anything new. It was just another reason to play out my, um, what is that term when you feel sorry for yourself all the time? Pity? Self-pity? Self-pity. I played out myself. There's a term that I use all the time. I don't know why. It's, it's like basic words that I just can't think about right now. (laughs) (laughs) It'll come to you. It'll come come to to me when I'm taking a shower or something. No, I mean, I, I I think that's really normal, and I actually, like, I mean, I don't know if this is what you're saying, so I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but mm-hmm. I feel like I've ex- I see that a lot, honestly, definitely in, like, faith deconstruction, but honestly more so in, like, uh, how do I say it, like, uh, awakening to issues of, like, white privilege and 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 just privilege in general is, like, all of it, especially like this last few years, you have this whole kind of wave of white people waking up to white privilege. Then they're just mm-hmm. like shitting on all these people who are like, I don't, you know, you know, what's yeah. the word? Like, I don't believe in race, you know? And and then all these white people are like, you're racist because you say you don't believe in race. And I'm like, um, excuse me, I literally had a conversation with you like four years ago where you told me that you only believe in one race, the human race. And mm. now you're over here on Facebook just, like, pretending that you've always had this, just this such awareness of the systemic oppression in America. And I think what it is, is it's just shame and embarrassment. It's like, oh, fuck, I can't believe I used to think that way. Now I'm going to distance myself. I always think of it as, like, stiff arming. It's like, I'm going to stiff arm that part of me, that part inside that still is in me that used to be that way. And I'm going to stiff arm everyone that reminds me of who I used to be. So Mm. whether that's like around religion or, you know, politics or issues of justice, I mean, I think that 
it's just it's the human condition in the way that we we experience this shame and then we want to distance ourselves from it within ourselves and within people around us. Mm. And what do you feel like is the way that we can bring awareness to that? Like, I guess even just knowing that you are doing that. I have like a really, really great spiritual director and she has been so helpful. She's also, I, I mean, she's like my one-stop shop because she's like, she's a spiritual director. She's an MFT. She does somatic like body therapy. So she just like has all the tools in the toolbox. And something she's really helped me do is just like, like just integration. So that, that's my, that would, that's my hope for people when we go through these we break through these thresholds of growth and expansion in ourselves instead of bottling up that person, that part of us from before and trying to shove them down. It's like, no, we, we integrate that into who we are. Okay. I used to be pretty fundamental. I used to be, you know, I used to not want to acknowledge the existence of, systemic oppression because it made me uncomfortable like those are just all parts of you and you integrate them into this new you instead of bottling them up and trying to shove them down and that's what allows us to build empathy for people that are in different places than us um but i do think that both like i think that christianity like american cultural christianity is so shame based mm-hmm. that we have a culture of shame Within the Christian tradition, like the American Christian tradition, that sort of extends then into its influence on American culture. And we just don't want to integrate those parts of us. Like, we just want to pretend they never existed and put on this front of, like, this perfectly perfect person um, Mm. who's always thought and said the right things. And it just doesn't allow room for growth and yeah, obviously, you know, you can get into the cancel culture and all of that. I mean, there's so many different things we could go down that it just creates a lot of really terrible side effects, I think. I want to ask you more about your integration process, too. Like, I know that there's so many ways yeah. that we can do that. But, you know, I never even thought about the word integration until just recently, a couple years ago, when we um, experienced using plant medicine. Mm. And that is that's a huge integration that it's it's such a key word for like, hey, what did you learn during this process? Mm. And how are you going to integrate it? Like rather than, okay, you know, people describe it as like, oh, no, they just got high. Oh, actually, no, there were so many downloads, so many keys, so many lessons that so many truths that you receive. And mm. then the idea of integration is like the day later. Now, what do I do with those truths? Um now that I have them, instead of just yeah. like moving on and doing the same old shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Tell me about your processes. Oof. Hmm. Well, I think a lot of it has been birthed out of my contemplative practices. And mm-hmm. um, specifically, there's one called the welcoming practice, where it's it's really a combination of... I don't know how everybody uses it, but I usually kind of use it with a body scan into a welcoming practice. Um, And it's helped me sort of visualize this process of integration. So, 
you know, if I'm experiencing anxiety, you know, I'll take some time to just notice like, okay, where, where in my body am I experiencing it? And so it's like, okay, it's like in my chest. And then I pretend like I get, this is, I don't know that I've really ever like shared this with people before. I pretend I get like a tiny little version of Haley. Like it's like I, like honey, I shrunk the kids version and I just like shrink into this tiny like cell sized Haley and I like hop into my chest and I'm like, okay, like anxiety, like what do you look like? What do you feel like? What are you trying to tell me? What are you doing there? And then the welcoming practice is just that you welcome it. You literally like either out loud or in your head. And I usually like make a hand motion. I'm like, welcome anxiety. Or maybe in that process of jumping in and, and trying to get curious with it, I notice it's not just anxiety. It's like fear or it's overwhelm. Or maybe it has like a sensation like it's really warm or something and I'll just kind of welcome all of that and acknowledge in that I guess that the reason that it makes me that feels like my integration process is it allows the energy to sort of disperse and not just be so focused in this one part in my chest that's like overwhelming and then when if I don't do that, then that one part, that anxiety part, rules my whole being. So that's an unintegrated mm-hmm. self, is that is that only my anxiety is informing how I move in the world, the decisions I make. Versus if you're able to take just those few moments to get curious with it and say, okay, anxiety, like, welcome. You're a part of this whole Haley. Oof. And I will move through the world as like my whole Haley, that part of it is anxious. And I think that is like the process for everything. It's like, yeah, I used to be a little bit racist. Okay, I'm not now. That's not my primary place that I move out of, but I'm not going to pretend that I never have had a racist thought. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to integrate that part of me or... Or I used to be fundamental. I, I used to think being gay was wrong. I used to think I, as a woman, couldn't be in leadership. Whatever it is mm-hmm. that you used to think. Like, instead of either letting that be the only thing that motivates you or pretending that that never was a part of you. And then, of course, we all know that, like, when you put something, like, in a closet, all it wants to do is just get out. You know, it's just, like... All of the energy, it, it somehow gains energy when you try to lock it in a dark place. Hmm. As opposed to like diffusing the energy, then it just goes into all your cells, all your body, and it's just a little part of who you are instead of this part that's just like rattling at its cage trying to get out. And I think that that's what we have a lot of in our society is people walking around with all these different parts of them caged up and and you see it in their aggression, in their anger, in their fear. There's just all these different parts that have so much more energy than they should. Mm-hmm. And an integration would be like, hey, I have this anger, I have this fear, I have this, uh, and and integrating it all into our whole selves. I do want to make the caveat, like, I don't want to oversimplify it. And I, I also don't have a lot of experience with, like, um... I would say I identify as a relatively like neurotypical person. So I don't want to speak to people who are struggling with any other mm-hmm. kind of mental, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the right word is, but um, 
So that's just my, that's just kind of from my vantage point, how I see things. I love it. There are so many things in there. What a beautiful, I've never even, I don't think I knew the term for it, but there is this like, I mean, and I'm simplifying it too, but there is this uh, idea of acknowledging and holding and perhaps even loving all the parts of you. So like what you said about anxiety just being a part of you, not the thing that is like forefront, you know, because if you think about the people struggling with anxiety, usually it is the thing. It's the thing that like defines them, especially during like panic attacks and those seasons where it's just like they can't shake it off, you know. Yeah. And yes, we're not therapists, yeah. you know, but you're so good. I feel like you should have your own podcast. Oh, wait, do you? <laughs> I, I, well, I don't have my own podcast. <laughs> I, I uh, am a three-part contributor to a podcast through my work, and we talk about peacemaking. Uh-huh. Um, but I, over the years, have really been, like, honing. Man, I just, a few, I feel like maybe it was, oh my gosh, it was at the beginning of the year. At the beginning of the year, I was at this retreat, and... And um, I was asked, I feel like this just shows just kind of the intensity of the retreat. Like, I was asked, like, what is your purpose in life? You know? And I'm like, what if I knew that? But <laughs> I I, I think I do kind of know my purpose in life. And, and I don't know, like, how that is going to play itself out yet. But I just have this deep desire for people to see themselves the way that God sees them. And I just know, I'm like, if people saw themselves the way that God sees them, and I don't mean this, like, Zeus, Santa Claus, God, like, white man with a beard sitting on a, like, throne waiting Mm -hmm. to, like, zap you. I mean, like, God, that equals love. Mm. Like, love and God are synonymous in this kind of world I'm talking about. Like, if everyone saw themselves from this vantage point of unconditional love, like we would have world peace, (laughs) you know? I mean, I know it sounds like really simplistic, but I really believe that. Like, and I think that the way that I've seen people readjust how they see themselves from this really toxic place to a place of like love and acceptance is through contemplative, like contemplative practices and Mm -hmm. contemplative living. Um, and so I guess all of that to say, I in the podcast, I do try to focus my contribution on what I call contemplative peacemaking, which is really that like interior peacemaking. Um, but but we also talk about a lot of other stuff. <laughs> and when you say so, OK, you are the I've heard of Richard Rohr multiple times throughout these years. Mm-hmm. But after speaking with you and meeting you, like I was like drawn to read him. <laughs> <laughs> and girlfriend, I mean, here's the thing. Timing-wise, I don't know if I would have been ready to read him until mm. everything has fallen. Like, the fact that I found him now after everything has literally just fallen on the ground and I've been rebuilding, mm. it is so beautiful to read mm. his work. And it, it's it's terms and language that I think that would have served me earlier, but at the same time, I don't know if I would have actually 
believe that Christ is in everything. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. way that he just describes like Christ is in the relationships and Christ is in mm-hmm. every single part of this earth. And it's like this being, mm-hmm. this Christ consciousness is basically, does mm-hmm. he, I don't know if I've actually heard him use that term. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but I feel yeah. like that's the, that's definitely, yeah, the essence of it. Yeah, it's so beautiful. So definitely, like, who would you recommend Richard Rohr, Rohr to? Like, what type of person um, do you imagine would be served by reading his work? Mm. It's funny because Richard Rohr is Catholic. He's, you know, Franciscan. And, but he's found this, like, and he's been writing since the 80s. I mean, he's been around a long time. He's maybe even been writing since before that. I'm not totally sure. But... He's found this, like, resurgence of popularity among young, like, post-evangelicals. And so that's who I think I – I mean, that's that's who I think really will resonate with him. Because he has so much reverence for the Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. And I I think there's this sort of this moment for young people – disenfranchised younger i guess (laughs) i say younger but are we young anymore i don't know like i still identify as young but apparently you know millennials are out and gen z's are in so whatever but like yeah yeah (laughs) um but i mean i think this like 25 25 to 40 year old um christian who is sort of on that edge of do is there anything redeemable about Christianity or not? And I think a lot of that is because we've experienced the world. We've, we've grown up in this global context. We've seen the systemic, um, like, the we've seen the way that the church has contributed to oppression in our own lives, in our communities, in our world. And so we're very disillusioned by it. I think Richard Rohr has this love and reverence for not just um, not just like the divine, you know, not just like this amorphous God, but like really the Christian tradition mm-hmm. um, that he he doesn't, you know, I think a lot of us are like, is there anything worth saving in Christianity? And he he is so invested in the Christian tradition. It's not an inner faith thing. It's not like a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of, you know, it's like he is, he actually jokes a lot that he's been investigated by the Vatican and he's come out okay. Like, (laughs) he's like, you know, like people, you know, more conservative Catholics have reported him for heresy and he's like, I've been investigated and I've been seen as not, you know, heretical. Um, So, he has this, yeah, he he helps, like, reframe the Christian tradition in a really, really healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I say that to caveat, though, like, I hope, you know, I hope Richie never hears this. I call him Richie, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> because I like to pretend we're friends, but we're not. Totally. Um, <laughs> I'll call him Richie, too. I love, yeah, I love Richie. I I honestly credit him, well, like, the intersection of, like, the divine in him for saving my relationship with Christianity mm-hmm. um, and and introducing me to the contemplative Christian tradition and the, the way of, like, the mystic. But he also comes from a white, celibate, like, affluent posture. 
And so I think it's an um, incredible, like, on-ramp for this contemplative Christian stream. Um, But I would really encourage people to make sure that if they are reading him, that they are also diversifying, you know, their library of people like Barbara Holmes, who's an incredible mystic, black mystic, um, who is a professor or a runs a seminary out in Florida. I mean, there's like, there are, there are so many, um, there are so many like contemplative Christians, mystic Christians, uh, who just don't get the same level of kind of, um, limelight that, that Richard has. And I think again, very well deserved. I think Richard, the way he communicates really resonates with people coming out of fundamentalist Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I am super grateful for that because he gives people footholds to like maintain their relationship with, with Christianity mm. when I think a lot of people would be leaving. But I also would say like start there maybe and then also – but don't like stay there. Yeah. Keep exploring. Do you know off the top of your head, you mentioned Barbara. Barbara, what's her last yeah. name? Holmes. Holmes. And do you yeah. have a few more people that you would recommend to read, learn um, from? Howard Thurman, um, who is – he is not alive anymore, but he – it's said that uh, like Martin Luther King carried a copy of um, one of Howard Thurman's like writings um, in his like jacket at all times. He was very much like the contemplative pastor of the civil rights movement and his stuff is just incredible. Um, I know I should have like, I mean, this, this Cynthia Bourgeau is a white lady, but she is a lady in this very male dominated world. And, and you and I were just texting about her. She's really like an expert on Mary Magdalene. Um, she is amazing contemplative Episcopalian priest. Um, she has a huge breadth of work as well. Um, I'm like, I wish I had my library like right next to me. <laughs> Those are just the ones off no, the top good. of my head. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with. ones that are really rooted in the like Christian tradition. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. You're like a wealth of knowledge. Like, I don't know. I really am so grateful that we've been able to connect me in this too. random way. Like, I'm really glad you guys moved here. Like, I was a fan <laughs> of Brad before I met you, but also was like <laughs> – who is she? And everything just kind of like fell into place. And I'm so grateful to me call too. you a friend. Oh. Oh my gosh, me too. When I when we knew we were gonna move back, I was like, I have a really great group of friends up here from growing up, but I also like I was like, I knew I was gonna need to um find like a spiritual home. Um mm. like find a people that were a spiritual home for me. And um so I feel like so grateful that yeah that we our paths crossed because mm-hmm. as soon as we started talking, I was like, oh yeah. She yeah. gets it. Yeah. She gets it. <laughs> I think I get it sometimes. <laughs> no, it's but like good, you said, yeah. seeker. You're a fellow seeker. Yeah, for sure. Um was there I mean this is such a an original podcasting question. Um, but I do, <laughs> I am going to go ahead and end with it because it's what would you tell your 18 year old self? Oh my gosh. My 18 year old self. Oh my gosh. Well, hmm. I think the, the biggest thing that I would tell my 18 year old self is that you are good. Mm. I think that I would say to trust 
to trust yourself. Um, and that the more people you know that think differently than you in every direction, like the stronger you are. I think growing up in a very homogenous world, you think the other is the biggest threat, but really the other is is the greatest gift. And I, I wish, uh, even now I wish that I had more friends that saw the world differently than me. Because that's how we see. That's how we gain a fuller picture for how God sees the world, is if we could see through every single person's eyes. Like, I think that's, that's, um, that would give us a fuller picture. Hmm. And probably tell her to stop straightening her hair. (laughs) 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 Oh, man, the hours I spent straightening my hair. Oh, it's just no good. I'm glad you don't. Do you not, do you never do it anymore? No, I never. I I don't. I don't even own a straightener, a blow dryer, yeah. any. I yeah. I no. feel like your your curly hair, as an Asian especially, is just this like magical. Like, remember when I looked at you <laughs> randomly and I was like, "You're a unicorn." <laughs> Part of that is your hair. Like nobody has that. It's very confusing for people. Yeah, yeah. being. I mean, I'm mixed race, so like. It that the yeah, and the curls just really confuse people, but that's another conversation for another time. But I also do think being mixed kind of yeah. lends you to being a mystic because you're sort of in that life and in, in between all the time. But mm. uh, well, thank you. I received the affirmation about my curls and they appreciate it as well. <laughs> they have, and, uh, <laughs> so they have a mind of their own, yeah. <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for tuning into this week's Woo Woo Shit podcast. You can find me at wooshit.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And I also wanted to let you know that I did set up a Patreon page. So if you are into Woo Woo Shit, if you want more sound baths, some ad-free episodes, and some Woo Woo gifts that I specially curated for my patrons, you can find me at patreon.com slash shit. I love you guys. Thanks again. This is my joy.